0: edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, May the 22nd. You can listen to this show every week at the Talking Mets link at com. The show is available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You could also send me a tweet. Go to Twitter at Mike Silva Media, and you could also contact me at mikesilvamedia.com. Hope everybody's doing well this Sunday. Mets coming off a sweep of the Milwaukee Brewers. I have joining me in a little bit. com contributor and former nationally syndicated radio host Tim Donner. Tim, uh, you may know him. used to host a show with Sid Thrift, the late Sid Thrift, former GM of the Yankees and the Pirates um, that went off the air probably about 10 years ago. Uh, big contributor to com, And Tim and I are going to talk about the state of the Mets. It's an interesting week to have Tim on. So, We'll be doing that. Of course, if you want to send me a tweet at @mikesilvermedia, like I said, mikesilvermedia.com is uh, the website. If you want to send me an email, we're hoping to hear from you. Now, look, uh, I'm going to start this out before we get to Tim. And, you know, you guys are probably feeling pretty good right now. You're feeling good about the Mets. Big walk-off win on Saturday, the captain getting a hit, a much-needed walk-off hit for David Wright. Another dominant performance by Noah Syndergaard on a Sunday, uh, Mets sweep the Brewers that basically did what they should have done. You know, you, when you play the Brewers and you have the Brewers coming into City Field, you have to sweep. But minimum two out of three, anything less, is a disappointment. And especially coming off that disaster of a series against the Nationals, a sweep was almost the bare minimum that the Mets needed to do going into the second series with Washington, uh, down in Washington, that will start tomorrow night. Now, here's the problem thus far. I just don't feel good about the Mets right now, and I'm not trying to be negative, and this is not another too-many-home-runs rant or too-many-home-runs show that we did a couple of weeks ago, although that looks very prophetic right now with the way the offense is is going. The Mets have failed every big test that's been thrown at them so far this year. They failed the West Coast trip, which was my first big test. They lost 7 of 11 they failed the first 3 games of the nat series losing 2 out of 3 and getting outscored 16 to 2 in the final two games the offense right now is in the bottom tier of the league hanging out with san diego atlanta and philadelphia even miami's down there i'm a little surprised at miami but without d gordon maybe they've lost their spark plug and john carlos stanton has probably struck out at this point about a billion times in a row what is it 18 of his last 23 at-bats or something like that. So when your superstar is struggling, I guess I'm not totally surprised that Florida is down there at the bottom. But the Mets are averaging below four runs a game. Now, yeah, the starting pitching has been great. And I'll get to that in a minute because there's clouds about that on the horizon. And the bullpen has been great. We know that. And that's going to be the foundation of this team. And the team is going to win or lose based on that. But you're not going to be able to compete at a high level. You're not going to be able to, over the course of 162 games, get into the postseason. And even if you get in as a wild card and win that play-in game with a wild card, how the heck are you going to win a series? Now, yeah, I know they did it against the Dodgers, but they were facing Kershaw and Greinke. And that Mets offense was one of the best offenses in the league from August 1st on. And they eked out a couple of wins against Greinke and Kershaw in that series. Yeah, they, they battered around the Dodgers at city field in game three. So maybe you can win a series and they didn't exactly hit the ton out of the ball against the Cubs. They did enough to beat the Cubs, at least at, at city field. But you saw what happened when Kansas city came into the mix. The Mets just couldn't get the big hit. They could not push enough runs across to win a series, a world series that was theirs. And I'll forget about Terry Collins and how he mismanaged game four. Cause I brought that up on Twitter this week. Cause I'm, I'm really starting to get tired of the fact that Terry skated, and this team and its, and its lack of preparation, specifically on the starting pitching, I think falls directly on him. But this is an offense that right now cannot compete on a daily basis, and I didn't do any kind of historical research about how many teams that are in the bottom third or 25% of the league wound up making the playoffs and winning it all, because the Mets pitcher, pitching staff is, is in the top three. But what about that pitching staff? You wake up and you're the Mets general manager this morning. You're Sandy Alderson this morning coming into this game. Here's what your starting pitching staff, which has to carry you right now, has to carry you. You have Matt Harvey, who's a mess. Matt Harvey is borderline a 4A pitcher right now. You have no confidence that Matt Harvey's going to give you six innings, three runs at this point. You take that at this point. Jacob deGrom is ridding his way through each start. His velocity's down, but he's not dominant. When I mean, Jacob DeGrom against a pop-gun offense in Milwaukee allowed four runs in five innings and needed 100 pitches to do it. He's been off all year. Jerry's familia has been good, and he got another save, and he's been perfect in saves, but his velocity has been down, and at times, he's looked hittable. Steven Matz has a forearm issue, which, yeah, he looked great on Friday. Oh. Take a sigh of relief. Everything is great. But Steven Matz with a forearm issue is a harbinger of things to come. There's something wrong. If your forearm is bothering you, that usually indicates ligament damage. So what is that? You heard a little bit about them dialing back on the slider. How is that going to impact Matz? So now you have to be cautious with Matz. You have to be mindful of a pitch count, which they were on Friday. Fortunately, the 100 pitches took you know, close to eight innings for them to or, – or seven innings, I should say – for him to get through, not going to happen every time. You might only be able to get five innings. Now the bullpen has been outstanding. Addison Reed and and uh, Jim Henderson and Bestardo and even Robles, who I don't trust, has done what you've asked us to do. Blevins has gotten lefties out. Even when guys like Sean Gill Martin have been been called up, they've been good. So your bullpen is there, but bullpens are fickle, and and Terry Collins has never shown that he can manage a bullpen effectively. He's never shown that he can put the bullpen in position to be successful, keep them rested when they need to be, not overuse them. But you're going to need this bullpen, which is first in the big leagues right now. You're going to need every bit of them. But when you wake up and you're the general manager of the Mets this morning, like I said, how can you feel good about where you're at on May the 22nd when your two best pitchers over the last few years, DeGrom was an all-star last year, Harvey was an all-star in 2013, The guys that you were looking to be number one and number two, and yes, Syndergaard has all the potential to be the best out of everybody, but coming into this season, you were looking for him to ascend into that. Same with Matt. You didn't want those two guys to be the anchors, and right now they are the number one and number two in this rotation. It's not Matt Harvey and and Jacob DeGrom. And I hear, and you'll hear a clip later, Terry Collins talk about, well, it's not an excuse, but maybe the extra workload last year. So every team that had extra workload should be having this issue. I don't see Jake Arrieta with an issue, uh, and he pitched deep into October. Same with Jonathan Lester. Not every team. When the Braves went deep into October in 1991, going into 1992, I don't know see, see Tom Glavin or John Smoltz pitch like they were 4A pitchers like Harvey. And all this other stuff you hear, Scott Boris, about Tommy John and how Strasburg last year had an ERA over 6 in May. Strasburg had Tommy John Three years earlier. I don't even know if it's applicable when he struggled. I mean he had a bad month last year. I don't know why Strasburg's May of last year has anything to do with the article that you saw Boris quoted in by Ken Rosenthal of FoxSports.com. So you know what I do? And I brought this up to Steve Phillips. I actually called MLB Network Radio on Friday and and called Steve Phillips and Todd Hollinsworth, who were the co-hosts. They do a morning show on MLB Network Radio. And I said, I would fire Dan Wharton. And you know what, Steve? You fired your coaches in June of 1999 to prove a point. It was more of a power struggle when the team was struggling. And this Mets team isn't below 500 like that Mets team. But I would fire Dan Wharton because I wake up and I say, I asked you guys to keep these young pitchers prepared and healthy coming off of a World Series year. And all I keep hearing is, well, you know, they've pitched a lot. That was their job. Their job was to get these guys ready, and they failed. And you could say, well, look at Mats and look at Syndergaard. Let's see how they manage them the rest of the year. Because I know, and I see it coming, that the first bump of the road for either one of those kids, as they get to innings 150, 160, 170, you'll hear the same garbage from these guys. Are you planning out? And if they need to be managed for a postseason run, which is what this is all about, are you going to prepare to skip them? Or space them out. Well, Matt's already got a skip start, but that was because of hell. And when you do skip them, what's the plan? Because you're going to have to compete, and this is going to be a tough division race, because the Mets and the Nationals are pretty evenly matched when you start to look at it. They both offensively are, you know, Nats may be a little bit better, but they are struggling. They have a lot of guys that are out, automatic out in that lineup Great. right now. Their bullpen is really good like the Mets. Their closers are pretty similar. Right now, the Nats starting pitching is better, so maybe you give the edge to the, 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 the Nats because right now you, you don't know what you're going to get from Harvey. You don't know what you're going to get from DeGrom. So how are you going to manage it, and do you trust that this guy is – this guy worth it? And if you – you know you, you, I would fire Collins. I would have done that. I would have let him go at the end of the year. I think he blew the World Series, and I know you guys who follow me on Twitter say you've, you've been down this road before. How can you fire someone after a World Series uh, uh, victory or a World Series appearance? It happens, people. It happens. You know, Billy Martin got fired a lot. You can could, you could make moves. You know, that's what you do when you want to get your team to the next level. You, do, you put chips to the center of the table. The Mets fired their hitting coach two years ago when they weren't hitting in May. To me, the black mark on Harvey and DeGrom are a fireable offense for the pitching coach. And you know what? you got guys like Frank Viola. All I hear about is how Frank Viola helps these kids down in AAA. I've never heard, and I know the media, and the media will defend Dan Worth, and you go after them on Twitter. Oh, the Worthen slider. I've never heard anybody give Dan Worthen credit. Oh, what about Ari Dickey I've heard? You know, Ari Dickey came, already made. Ari Dickey made himself, and he told Worthen, look out for certain things. Look. If the best thing you can do as a pitching coach is sit there, know your pitchers, and just point stuff out that they should be doing, that's any pitching coach could do that, guys. You want someone who's going to make an impact. You want someone like Dave Duncan that could take average pitchers and somehow every year plug them in and they give you what you need out of them. And you've never heard, you know, all throughout all this, when you talk about the preparation and coming in not ready, and 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 the long layoff, uh, or the short layoff, I should say, from the World Series last year, I've never heard Terry and Worthen say, you know, yeah, maybe we could have done this better. Now, maybe they've done it off the record, and, and I don't know. I'm not in the clubhouse. But I've never heard them say that. When has it become their fault? And you know what? If I'm the owner of the club, the first guy I'd go to, go, you know what, Dan, you've turned my two best pitchers to garbage. And I'd call up Frank Viola. That's what I would do. And that shakes shake things up. It's okay to shake things up. Now, that's not Sandy Alderson, and that's not this club. This is a very corporate uh, club that looks for consistency. They don't like to have drama swirling them. The, the, when I met, referenced Steve Phillips and Bobby Valentine in 1999, there was constant drama swirling when Valentine was the manager. And they, the, the players played well in that, but they were fortunate. That's not necessarily the culture you want. But sometimes shaking things up is okay. Sometimes it's necessary. I think it's necessary now because you know what? I'm going to tell you something right now. Matt Harvey's got his stay of execution. They're not going to put him on the DL. They're going to pitch him Tuesday against the Nationals. He's going to go back out there, and I'll give him credit. He, First of all, he better not hide from the media because already he was given the whole Heisman to the media yesterday after his secret workout. If I'm Matt Harvey, I do my work. Sure, maybe I don't want the reporters there reporting on every movement. I could get that, but I would talk to the media. You want to be a tough guy? You want to be in front of uh, all the publications? You want to be in Fortune magazine, whatever? Talk to the media. But if he gets lit up down in D.C. on Tuesday, I'd send him to Vegas. He's got options. I believe he's got options. I, I, you know, I've never seen anybody dispute that. But Matt Harvey's got options, and I'd send him to Vegas because at this point, would you have less faith in Sean Gilmartin coming up? who's got a 2.48 ERA down in the Pacific Coast League in Vegas Then Matt Harvey. And if DeGrom is still off, I'd consider him too going down. That'll be shaking people up. That'll send the message out, wow, well, you know. Success is fast and fleeting, people. Just because you went to the World Series last year, nobody cares about that. Just because Sports Illustrated put you on the cover of the magazine, nobody cares about it. The Cubs don't care. The Nationals certainly don't care. Nobody cares. If anything, the league wants to see them all fall right on their faces. Just like Mets fans hate all the anointing of the Cubs, the, the, the going gaga over the Cubs and Theo Epstein before they've won anything, the league hates that for the Mets. Because, yeah, the Mets won a pennant, the Mets won a division, but the Mets didn't win a title. The Kansas City Royals are world champions, not the New York Mets. And you know what? The victory lap is over, Terry and Dan. Because if anything, you guys were part of the reason why they didn't win that World Series, because of the way the bullpen was managed, not because of why they won. And I'll tell you why. It'll be a big start on Tuesday. It'll be a big start for Matt Harvey on Tuesday. And uh, it'll be interesting to see because that would take a lot of cajones for the New York Mets to take Matt Harvey and send him down and say, you're going to spend some time down in Vegas. And look, it wouldn't be the first pitcher to get sent down. You know, Cliff Lee got sent down. Yeah, go look it up. Cliff Lee had a really good start to his career in Cleveland. He struggled, he got sent down. Bobby Jones got sent down. Steve Traxel got sent down. Sure. Different pictures. But Cliff Lee was a was you know Cliff Lee was a Cy Young Award winner, if I'm not mistaken, and got sent down. Cliff Lee was a Cy Young Award winner. Cliff Lee in two thousand and eight. Actually, in two thousand eight, Cliff Lee won the Cy Young Award a year after he got sent down. He was eighteen and five, finished fourth in the Cy Young Award. In 2005, he got sent down two years later. It happens. So it's not crazy. It's not a crazy thing. Anyway, let me take a quick break. I'm going to get Tim Donner on. Tim and I are going to go through this. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world of the New York Mets, uh, all the uh, struggles with the offense, the, the issues with the starting pitching. Hey, there's some, some, still some things, good things going on. Of course, next weekend you got 86 weekend. I'm also going to get into – I really don't like – this whole thing about the strike zone being changed. It really bothers me. And the intentional walk, I don't care about but the strike zone. Maybe we'll delve into that a little bit, but Tim and I will have a lot to talk about. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, May the 22nd. If you want to check out the show, go to MetsMorizedOnline.com and go to the Talking Mets link. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. We'll be right back.
1: Veers' opposite field single started all of this, and – off they went, with some help from the Mets' defense. And Revere cashes this one to left center. That's beyond the reach of Cespedes. Two-run score, Ramos and Espinosa. Revere steaming for third. And it's 9-1 Nationals. Looks like Matt Harvey will go two and two-thirds. He's walking off. He's hearing lots of booze. Thursday night, the Nationals took the rubber game of their series in Citi Field from the Mets, 9-1 the shortest outing of Matt Harvey's career. He gave up nine runs, the most he's ever allowed. First thing we have got to do is right now, I think, is try to build up some confidence, some way, somehow. Um, you know, I, I truly believe this is a game where you got to trust yourself, you got to believe in yourself, and and you know, when that when you don't have that, it's tough to tough to compete at this level. Right now, I'm. I mean, everybody saw the game. It's pretty obvious what happened, and and uh, I'm not happy about it. I know nobody else is, and. Gonna pick up tomorrow and kind of, like I've said all along, start over and keep looking for answers. This kid, you know, went above and beyond last year, and and I'm not sure he's recuperated from it. I'm gonna stand by it's not an excuse. I don't. We don't make excuses here. I think it might be a reason, and I think there's a difference between a, a reason and an excuse. So um, that's where I stand on it. I told Matt I still trust him. I still believe in him. I've seen him do it, and. Uh, we've, we're gonna we'll, we'll take a hard look at you know what next move is gonna be. Bobby feels fine. It's not that. It's uh, not being able to execute pitches and not not doing my job. I'm you know continuing to work at, at figuring it out and and
2: uh, we've watched a lot of video. But you know we got to continue doing that and and you know with Dan's
1: help we'll we'll figure it out. Music. We're back,
0: Talking Mets podcast, and joining me in helping uh, co-captain the ship for the rest of the show is Tim Donner. You guys will probably greet him at MetsMorizedOnline.com. He spent eight years as a co-host of a nationally syndicated baseball radio show, talking baseball with the late former general manager of the Pirates and Yankees, that was Sid Thrift. He's joining me now as we talk about the state of the New York Mets on this late May Sunday. Uh, Tim, uh, pleasure to have you on. How you doing today, my friend?
2: I'm doing great. Well, I was doing better <clears throat> following a sweep of the Brewers until you brought me back to the Harvey performance <laughs> against the Nationals. Um, but I'm I'm feeling good. I I wrote a column uh which sparked some controversy on MMO uh about the Mets train wreck. Uh, so I guess now I need to just say uh never mind.
0: Well, you've used spark controversy in my intro. Uh, I basically said right now you're feeling good but I don't feel good about the New York Mets and I cited a couple of things first of all on the offense and we'll get to that you're averaging less than four runs a game the team is averaging less than four runs a game they're built on the starting rotation and the bullpen the bullpen has been outstanding this is the best bullpen the Mets have had maybe since the 2006 bullpen and I think this bullpen might be better because they have a number of guys if they stay healthy and they're not abused and overused that could miss bats at a significantly high rate, and that's what you want out of a bullpen. But I wake up this morning, and if I'm, I'm general manager of the Mets, Sandy Alderson, my number one pitcher, in theory, Matt Harvey, is a mess. He's a 4A pitcher. My number two, who was an all-star last year, Jacob DeGrom, is battling through mechanical issues. I don't know if he's unhealthy, and he barely was able to get through five innings against a, a Brewers team that can't hit, let's face it. Steven Matz has forearm issues, which sometimes could be nothing but could be a harbinger of things to come. And at some point, Noah Syndergaard, you're going to have to look at his innings and figure out how you're going to manage him and maintain him at a high level into the postseason. The starting pitching is very much, in my opinion, uh, as much as it's the bedrock and I feel good about it, it, is a wild card right now. There's a lot of questions. And I'll tell you what. Two years ago, they fired Dave Hudgens. From as a hitting coach when they weren't hitting. And if you remember, uh, Tim, when we were doing some uh, prep for the show, I talked about 1999 when Steve Phillips, in more of a political move, fired all the coaches. I'll tell you what, you got a pitching coach down in Vegas. If I'm the general manager, I'm like, what do I pay my pitching coach? And all I hear, and you heard that clip from Terry Collins, is, well, these guys pitched a lot last year. What am I paying you guys to prepare? You knew they were going to be pitching deep into the season once you went to the World Series. This preparation should have started in November, not now. And I'll tell you what, it, it's probably not going to happen, and it's probably not a popular move, and it's not insane. The eldest in the DNA, I'd fire the pitching coach to make a statement. Because I'd say, What do I need you for? I could have Frank Viola come up. I could have anybody come up and, and look at mechanics. I don't need somebody. I need someone who's going to keep these guys healthy and prepare for them to be, over the course of 162 season, who we know they can be. So maybe that's a dramatic way to start, Tim. So if they're mad at you, they're going to be twice as mad at me after saying yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Good. You just took the heat off of me, Mike. Uh but look, I think there's there's obviously a high opinion uh within the organization of Dan Worthen uh by virtue of the fact that that he stayed, you know, he stayed on as pitching coach, which does happen more frequently with pitching coaches <laughs> than any than any other type of coaches in the majors where they go from one regime to another. Uh, in this case, you know, uh, Worthen, uh survived the last regime and then came came on board uh, again uh, with Terry Collins. But I think that uh, you know, I think you're I think you're overreacting a bit, it, it, with all due respect. Because I do think I look at Harvey and I look at a guy who I, the only explanation that makes any sense to me is that the 216 innings was a bridge a bit too far for a guy coming off of Tommy John. Now, admittedly, he did have 18 months, whereas most most pitchers coming off Tommy John and Zach Wheeler will be the, the latest of them get anywhere from 12 to 15 months. So he should have been in a more regular uh, regimen uh, last year. However, if you listen to, for example, John Smoltz, he will say that, you know, this is not a straight line. It's not a linear path for a guy coming off of Tommy John. Uh, and I think that, that Harvey, it doesn't appear that there's anything wrong with him physically. Now, the degree to which Wharton is responsible for Harvey having the fourth worst ERA among starters in the National League, uh, is, arguable. We really don't know and we don't know how he's going to pitch Tuesday night in DC, but I do think it's a good idea to keep him on a uh, on uh, on his on his regular start day. Uh, I think it would have been a mistake to move him up to Monday or to skip him because then I think you're creating even more of an issue. It's a bit of of a roll of the dice. But I do think that this staff does seem to they do seem to have Confidence in Worthen, but you know sometimes uh, the pitching coaches have shelf lives where they no longer. This is like managers as well, and Bobby Valentine's a classic example of a of, uh, who was an excellent manager, but he had clearly a shelf life—five uh, or six years. Of course, in Boston, it was one year, and it was a disaster for him. But uh, sometimes the message doesn't continue to penetrate. Uh, after a certain amount of time, as far as uh, I've got, so many other things to worry about that Syndergaard and Matz would not be anywhere near the top of that list. I don't know what we're going to get from Wheeler. I would suspect that uh, whatever Worthen can do uh, is going—you know—the degree to which he can make a difference is going to matter a lot when Zach Wheeler comes back. And as far as Bartolo Colon, well, who knows what effect he can he blow up might at have any on time. Him.
0: You you saw that with Tom Glavin. Look, once you're north of forty, one day Father Time calls you and says, Come with me and you just can't you don't have it anymore. And you try well, to do all certainly size the the, all the prep it goes away. Well the
2: last two the last two starts. I mean when a guy's forty three years old like Cologne and he has two Bad starts in a row, the the thought becomes inevitable. Much like it does with uh, when David Wright goes in a slump, you immediately say, "Well, it has to be the back." I mean, we're hoping that's not true, uh, but you, but that that thought has to more than cross your mind. It has to penetrate your mind uh, to some degree. However, I think. Uh, Mike, that in all fairness, you do have to give worth and some some credit for what's happened with the bullpen this year, for example, a guy like jim henderson i mean here's a guy that we pulled off the scrap heap effectively hadn't pitched in two years, and we saw him today against the brewers. he was very effective he's been effective in about eighty eighty five percent of his outings, and he's you know they he he's come from nothing to be something. The had problems, but other than that, I think if, if, you do, if you're in a position where Wharton is to be blamed for the performance uh, of Harvey, that he probably deserves some credit for the performance of the bullpen, which quite frankly to this point has bailed them out many a time with these starters going, I mean look, the, the idea these days is you get seven innings out of your starter and then you piece together the last two innings And we haven't gotten that to the degree that we thought we would early this year. Jacob only went uh, five innings on Saturday uh, against uh, the Brewers, and he's gone six more often than seven to be sure. Uh, Thor has, what, seven innings is pretty much what we've been able to count on from him but the bullpen has been tested and has bailed this team out repeatedly this year. I I don't expect that they can keep up quite this level of performance. Uh, but if a guy like Henderson uh, sort of reverts to to the mean, uh, perhaps an Antonio Bastardo uh, might as well. So I think it's sort of a mixed bag uh, with the pitching, but. I mean, you look at 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 this weekend, these weekend games here against Milwaukee, which admittedly is not a good hitting team, but these are the kind of teams you have to beat up on. I mean, this is what the Nationals are doing; they're beating up uh, on the Twins, they're beating up on the Phillies, and they're beating up on the Braves. You you have to be able to hold serve uh, to the degree of about eighty to ninety percent of the games you play against these teams, so that you can afford. To, uh, to get away with what happened against the Nationals this week, which was, was just dreadful after Noah's right. performance on Tuesday.
0: Now, I, and again, I'm trying to make a point. Maybe I'm being overly negative. The Mets have failed to me the first two big tests that they've had. They failed the West Coast trip, losing 7 of 11, and they failed in that series. Now, let's move, play fictitious GM. We'll fast forward to Tuesday. And this is another thing I brought up in the open. If Harvey gets – forget about getting shelled to the nine runs and two and a third innings. Let's say Harvey does five innings, four runs, lacks any zip on the fastball, doesn't look dominant, struggles through those five innings, and the Mets lose 5-1 or, or 6 nothing. I have seen nowhere that he can't be sent to the minors. I believe he has player options. It would take a lot of cojones from this front office to do it. It would be a huge story. I don't know how Harvey would take it, but Cliff Lee was fourth in the Cy Young voting in 2005. Two years later, he was in the minors. He came back, and he survived from it. I know they're not the same caliber of Matt Harvey. Bobby Jones and Steve Traxel were veterans, and they went down, and they were both better for it to the point where Bobby Jones came back and, and helped the Mets get to a World Series. I would say... There's no chance of me putting this guy in the bullpen, and I think the DL, if you're hurt, go on the DL. If you're bad, go down to the soul. It'll humble him, and uh, spend some good time down in Vegas in the Pacific Coast League, because if you're going to learn how to pitch and get through it, the Pacific Coast League is the perfect place to do it, because you're going to get no breaks down there.
2: Well, I think, you know, when after Harvey's performance, Terry Collins said something I thought very insightful. Uh, which you would expect from a man his age, oldest manager in the majors, he's been around the block a number of times. He says there's only two kind of people in this game, the people who've been humbled and those who will be humbled. I don't think Matt Harvey's been humbled to this point. One would think that having to undergo Tommy John would be enough to humble him. One would think that the whole blow up that happened right before the National Series Uh, last September, where he said, well, maybe I won't pitch again, maybe I will, and he got his agent, Scott Boris, Uh, he at a minimum couldn't control him, Uh, that perhaps what happened in the ninth inning of Game 5 of the World Series uh, might humble him. But I don't think this is a guy who has been humbled, and he's not a guy who is by nature humble, uh, to put it nicely. Not at
0: all. My i old. i
2: we've seen this happen uh, we've seen this happen the most recent example, albeit a position player was Travis Darneau, who was struggling mightily uh two years ago and was sent to Vegas for three weeks, figured it out, got things straight, came back and was an entirely different player
0: Tim, let me put that with... out to you Dude, let me throw this. He goes down to Vegas he gets straightened out by a viola. Let me tell you something. That ain't good if you damn worth
2: it. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean that that that's certainly true. I I would I wouldn't lay any money on the proposition that they will send him to the minors. And I think you know let's see what he does Tuesday. But my I suspect if he has another performance like he did against the Nationals this week, then I think we'd, we that they would have to consider that move. If it's a as you said five innings three or four runs, six or seven hits, a couple of strikeouts, two or three walks, then I think they still let him try to work it out uh, going forward from there. But you've got some difficult teams on the schedule coming up. I mean, you've got the White Sox, the Cubs aren't far off in terms of that series. So there's not, you know, you don't have, you don't have the Phillies and Braves coming up a whole lot, Not, not to degrade the Phillies, they've had a, very surprising year. I think all of us believe, though, that that's not going to be sustained.
0: That's that's not sustainable. Look, there's one part of this that you brought up. You threw it in there, and I thought about it. It's a throwaway thought I put into last week's Open. Is this not a hangover physically from 2015 in the 216 innings? But you talked about Harvey and success. Here's a guy that came up, 10 strikeouts his first game, jumped right into the fray, was really good, even though he had a losing record at the end of 2012. 2013, he becomes Superman, goes on the disabled list, has Tommy John surgery, and really came back, had a little bit of a rough patch last year, but he had a a phenomenal year post-Tommy John. But then he gets to eight innings, shutting down the Royals, dominating, and he can't finish that game off. And it's never been the same for him again. Now, again, we don't know. This could just be... Talk radio narrative uh, mental bubblegum. but ever since that ninth inning, he's been human. Maybe that's well, look. The I, think, Maybe I think think the if, confidence if, went out the window there. Maybe that's where the confidence if, went. In that ninth inning last October, November. Well, that I
2: think that's last. possible. I think it's almost almost impossible to read into the tea leaves, especially since I'm sure Harvey himself does not know whether that's what did it. Some yeah. will say it was the little physical glitch that he had in the spring. Dan Worthen has said that you know that he ha- he, he basically was quoted or had told Terry Collins that you know ever since he had uh, the issue. Uh, with the blood clot that, find, that that did pass rather quickly, that he has not been the same pitcher. However, there's not much to compare it to before that because that was early in spring training. So it could be that, well, remember, I, I mean, the recommended amount for a pitcher coming off Tommy John was 180 innings. Now, he didn't go to 190 or 200. He went to 216. That's, You know, that's a full 36 innings past the 180. And so that would be a logical explanation, I would think, although, of course, having been a Mets fan since 62, I recall pitchers that pitched 300 innings a year, but this is not how pitchers are conditioned anymore. And, Tim,
0: remember something that no one talks about. He was not good at the Dodgers series, and uh, he wasn't really good the first game against Kansas City. You saw, and even with DeGrom, you saw mixed results in terms of the kind of pitchers they were in the postseason. DeGrom was very good in the first game against the Dodgers. He grinded through the the game five. Yes. He, he could have been blown out of the, the waters if if uh, not for a couple of breaks. Against the Cubs, uh, he grinded through that game three. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything went the Mets' way. Harvey pitched well against the Cubs in that, in that uh, game one. Didn't really have an opportunity to see him a second time around against the Cubs. We saw him in the ga- game one of the World Series after the layoff was not good, but was really good in game five. So these both these pitchers that I referenced and, and put at the hands of Dan Warthen, I'll, I'll pull back and go into. And I, I question sometimes the innings thing because, yeah, I agree. Historically, that is a lot of workload. But if these guys were, were gassed or they weren't pitching well, they would have fallen off the cliff sometime last year, and they didn't. They've had a whole offseason to rest. Is it, I think it has as much to do with the preparation coming into this year as anything, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone has an answer, and they say they're well, healthy. So if you're healthy, then you got to. Then, then what's the problem? Why are the mechanics off? And how do we not lay that at the hierarchy? Because it's their job to help these guys identify it and fix it. Or else, then why have a pitching coach? Then you might as well. Just, well, there
2: was you know, the there, there was the sense this spring that among the the Mets top brass and Terry Collins and perhaps Dan Worthen that you know and i wrote this in in my column this week that they acted as if this was the first team that had ever had to extend their pitchers uh to many more innings by pitching through october as if that had never happened before and as if they didn't have you know all of november december january and february off that's still four months now Uh, there was this sense that they were being babied or they were being very careful with them, which one could understand at some level. However, it seems to me that a lot of the, 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 the way they did not push them in spring training meant they had to push them in the regular season Uh, to make up for how they had not pushed them in spring training. And I think other than Syndergaard and Mats, uh, if you throw out his first performance, I mean, Matz's ERA is barely over one if you throw out that first disastrous performance where he didn't make it through the second inning. Um, But, of course, Mats didn't throw the number of innings last year that the rest did. He was out for two months. So you can kind of throw that uh, out of the equation. But in terms of, you know, Jacob deGrom, I mean, clearly his velocity's been down, although it's kind of ironic that on Saturday against Milwaukee, where he barely made it through five innings, gave up four runs, his velocity was actually higher than it had been all season, and yet he still could not put the Brewers' hitters away with the fastball. Uh, So, you know, 100 pitches in five innings was more the kind of thing You would have expected from Syndergaard last year when he was running up pitch counts at an alarming rate and couldn't pitch as as long as we would have liked to see him pitch, seven innings, occasionally eight, occasionally six, but averaging seven. Uh, So, you know, a lot of this is, I mean, each, each arm, each pitcher, not to mention the mind of each pitcher is different where they've come from, how many innings, and I think more and more research is showing that it's how these pitchers were treated before they were professionals and maybe even before they got to college that has a lot to do with ultimately whether they have to undergo Tommy John and what sort of wear and tear on their arm. It's hard to determine, you know, Where was Matt Harvey before he went to the University of North Carolina? How much stress was put on him at that point or for any of these other pitchers? It's very hard to quantify that. But I think most of the research now is heading in the direction of it's what happens to them or what happened to them, how they were treated uh, by their coaches early in their baseball careers, even before they were professionals, that has a lot to do, with their longevity and how they are able to avoid or not avoid injury once they get to the show.
0: Tim, let's take a quick break. When we return, uh, we'll pivot a little bit. Let's get to the offense. We'll talk about David Wright. I got some concerns about the offense, some not-so-great news about Lucas Duda. looks a little ominous for Lucas Duda, and we'll get into that, and we'll look under the hood and see if there's – a way to figure out a way for the Mets to score some more runs, because I don't know if three runs a game is going to do it as they head into the meat and potatoes of the National League. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast, Mike Silva, joined by Tim Donner here of MetsamorizedOnline.com. If you want to check out the show, go to MetsamorizedOnline.com and go to the Talking Mets link. You can also check it out on iTunes as well and on SoundCloud. And check me out on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media. We'll be right back.
1: Doing what has been a very difficult stretch one of the most difficult he's ever had in his career especially shot full of strikeouts in a spot where Blazek wants nothing more than a strikeout rain falling, right trying to end this ball game right here and Blazek might walk in the winning run he lines with a right center field face in on the Mets win the ball game Campbell comes in with the winning run. David Wright, the walk-off hero, and the Mets win it five to four. We're
0: back, Talking Mets podcast. A little bit of a better clip there, Tim. Especially in this season yes. where uh, David Wright has uh, has scuffled. The old Jeff Torborg has scuffled. I'll tell you one thing before we get to the David Wright. Oh, Gary Jeff, Cohen board. Oh. Yeah, I'm throwing a real I'm throwing a real. And then sometimes <laughs> I'll tell you I'm get uh, I'm not going to say that. I'll say that. I'll save that one cuz we'll go off on a tangent, but I want to make a point. Gary Cohen reminded me a little of Vince Scully in that uh, oh, that movie with Kevin Costner for the Love of the Game with that listening to it now after having watched it he was setting up that at bat almost like a movie. It was like it was inevitable that David Wright was going to get a hit because Gary Cohen was was setting him up just like a good director would set up the script and put the 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 right copy in his hands. And it's just amazing as you listen to it on the on the back half here after uh, after living it just twenty four hours ago. Well,
2: it's true. It's as it's as if he knew what the outcome was going to be the way that he set the scene there. But, of course, nobody does it better. I mean, I think we are so blessed to have Gary Cohen. I mean, I know that, that uh, you know, a lot of most fans probably believe their hometown announcers are the best. But this guy really is the best because he's so literate and he is so well-versed in Mets history. Uh, and he, he controls the broadcast so well, he throws in – so many interesting stories and anecdotes and analogies, and his his knowledge is so deep. And I listen to broadcasters of other teams, and their preparation just pales at comparison to his. He's got everything at his fingertips, and he makes he makes uh, Ron and, and Keith uh, that much better by by his own performance. And and it's frankly, it's it's Gary, and to some degree Keith and Ron, who made those six years on the backside of the desert before 2015, sure. uh, made the Mets watchable simply because right. you got to listen to him.
0: You listen, listen to the banter. Now, I am trying to figure out Keith's schedule. I, I, I've tried to put like an algorithm to it, but I, he's throwing Not a possible. lot of purples this year. Well, because usually Colorado, Not- I know he, usually, he has family in Colorado, but this year he didn't go to Colorado San Francisco tends to be where he because it's his hometown to go, but I haven't figured out the algorithm i I thought I had the algorithm down. forget it. I've thrown it out the window because Keith will will throw in the towel at the most unlikely moments, but he does bring it when he does come that's i'll give him that I'll give him that much
2: indeed he indeed he does well I know that 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 ron Ronnie likes to go to Washington because of course he broadcasts the nationals. Uh, in their first year he uh, Keith does tend like to go to Miami because of course he lives in Florida and to Cali- uh, and Well he also got to remember so. keith has
0: got to rack up those uh those working days in Florida to keep his residence primarily in Florida too. He makes it very Well that's clear true. For tax purposes he does not I'm want I'm sure that's taxes. true. Let me tell you something. If I had the choice, you do not want New York State and Long Island as your primary residence if you have a choice between that and Florida. I will, I will say that. Without trying to forensically figure out or to end the taxes, I have to say he's a smart man if that's why he's making the trips to Miami. If I had the opportunity to do that and make some extra bucks, I'd do the same thing too. So I can't criticize Keith there. But let's, let's get to the offense, Tim. Here's the deal you have basically a two-man offense right now, Conforto and Cespedes. You have a very streaky hitter in Granderson. You have a nice component player in Cabrera. I don't know what to make of Wright. All I know is the history tells me spinal stenosis. If you could nurse it through this year and get productivity, uh, count your blessings, and, and you're probably going to have to every year roll the dice, and every year the percentage likelihood that Wright makes it through the year and is in a, and is a productive player, Decreases. Lucas Duda, I, I, you know, I'm I'm checking Twitter here. I don't know if anything came out. If I missed something, let me know. But at this point, as we record this at about six o'clock on Sunday, it seems like there's no news as to whether it's muscular or a disc issue. If it is a disc, disc issue for Lucas Duda, forget about coming back. And people say, well, he's not going to have power. He may never be the same again. He may never play again. Look at Larry Johnson, of formerly the Knicks, and and now he had to compromise and change his game uh, after having disc and back issues. And I don't think Lucas Duda can do that and all of a sudden become a on-base slap hitter and be productive, not the same apples-to-apples apples comparison. This is a team that's going to have to bring in reinforcements. Maybe I'm starting to look, and maybe we can do that and, again, play GM here, Tim. You know, you got Bilson Herrera down in the minor leagues. you got a couple of names of guys that are older minor leaguers and Ty Kelly and T.J. Rivera that could play around the infield. And then here's the big wild card when he comes back from the hamstring injury. Maybe Wilber Flores is, and I never liked him in the middle infield. I'm questioning whether he could play third. Maybe first base is his position. And if he could come in and hit 15 home runs and, and largely mash lefties uh, as the first baseman, the downgrade is still significant because the dude is a 30-home run guy. But maybe you could survive. But they're going to need a bat. And when two major components of your offense, now are question marks, the downgrade to Reynolds and Campbell. That's going to be hard to navigate tough parts of the schedule offensively unless you just get lights-out offensive consistency from Cavorto, Cespedes, and then you need Granderson to stop being a streak hitter. Granderson's going to have to be a different player than historically he's been. Um, I don't well, know. The trouble they, is I'm very concerned. very concerned about the you, offense.
2: Uh, well, you've got, the trouble is you've got two black holes on the offense right now i mean you've got you've got a black hole right now, pretty much at first base I mean Campbell's done a you know a respectable job, uh but he's not an answer at first base and then and then you know the big hole that you've got is behind the plate uh, Travis darneau cannot stay on the field now, admittedly, the bulk of the injuries that he's had over his injury plate career have been fluke injuries collisions at the plate being hit by a pitch uh but this injury was not. A so called fluke injury, this was a wear and tear apparent well it 's hard to believe because it 's so early in the season, but apparently a wear and tear injury with a rotator cuff. I mean a catcher having a rotator shoulder rotator cuff in uh, injury is a, is frightening by itself, so you've got an issue with catcher at third base. The problem with uh, David Wright or anybody else with spinal stenosis is if you've got a guy coming off an injury. And you give him, and, and during the off season, you're saying, "Well, he can heal, and he'll be better by the time the next year starts." But not with a condition like spinal stenosis, which you cannot expect to ever—it's not going to get better. It can no. only get worse from year to and year. The not recovery time—it's con- not, going to, not better, going to get better. So, I—I right. I don't see his. I see that David really has not demonstrated that he can get around on a fastball. Uh, above 91, 92 miles an hour. Now, at first base, uh, depending on what happens here with the diagnosis, as we hold our breaths on whether it's well, a Well, here's
0: the only thing I got probably. for you. Adam Rubin says, and uh, Dr. Terry Collins, certainly I wouldn't call him, but Terry Collins concerned Lucas Duda will be out a while because of a back issue. All check will review right. the MRI on Monday. Now, this is a guy two days ago that said Duda's back is feeling better and he's available to pinch hit. I sometimes take what Terry Collins says with injury news, with a grain of salt. But um, for a doctor to review an MRI, it's got to tell you that there's something going on there. So at the very least, we're looking at a 15-day DL stint. And, and
2: well, DL that's DL true. But I, I'm I'm intrigued by one possibility. In case the Lucas Duda is down for the long haul for the rest of the season or for weeks or months, I would like to see whether an experiment uh, of putting... Uh, uh, Diazza at first base against right-handed uh, starters uh, would be viable. I mean, here's a guy who I think is is a dynamic player who, with his very presence, could add more energy uh, to the offense when they're not hitting home runs. And, I mean, here's a team that has scored 55% of its runs on home runs and yet is 27th in the majors in run score. That is a toxic combination. So I agree with you completely. There's reason to be concerned about the offense. And then when you get to October, of course your power is going to be subdued by the fact that you're only facing good pitchers, the best pitchers uh, when it comes to the post season. But I think that it, Diaz uh, and Flores, uh, Platooning at first base is a much better, much more viable option than having Eric Campbell playing every day. You could also move Walker, Neil Walker, over to first base and bring Dilson Herrera up. He's raking at Las Vegas, but as we know, numbers at Las Vegas mean very little. They don't trans. I mean, sometimes they do translate to the majors, but there's no way to say, well, if he's hitting at Vegas, that means he's going to hit here. We don't have any idea...
0: It's Dilson so annoying that they're in the Pacific Coast League.
2: I, mean, the I know. I mean, they need to get they need to they need to get uh, a AAA team on the on the East Coast and they burn I, know, I don't bridges. think that's
0: going to happen anytime soon. I think you pretty no, much you look no, at no. Buffalo hates them. Rochester's locked up. Uh, Norfolk is locked up with a better a partnership. True. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's not. That's a whole. We can do a whole show on that whole situation. But they're going to have to
2: overwhelm one of these AAA markets uh, with an with an offer, and perhaps upgrading the stadium and making that part of the deal uh, in order to get it. You know, the AAA franchise in the East. But they do have the advantage here, like with Walker moving to third or moving to first. They have that flexibility. Flores can Flores can play all four. In field positions, they, he doesn't play them all well, but he can he can play them. Uh, so they do have options, and of course, you know Campbell. Let's put it this way: if Eric Campbell is anything but the twenty fifth man on the bench, then something is very wrong, and they have to be able to do. I mean, their performance their situational hitting has been unacceptable. Their performance with running runners in scoring position, they're hitting about two oh five. That Better needs today. to get up to
0: – Cabrera had a nice at-bat today. Yes, he um, did. In a situation where the, with the off-speed pitches, the curveballs, the, the change-ups, you almost expected to see a, a K in that situation. And He brought the two runs in. They only got one of their three runs, 33%, so that's well below the 55 that they're at in terms of home runs. Let me throw you out one wild card that I don't think is very Unmets-like, and then I'll throw you the lament that's probably out there. The wild card now that you're hearing the fans talk about because of what happened with Conforto a year ago is Dominic Smith at Binghamton. Now, Dominic Smith at Binghamton going into today is a 21-year-old kid uh, who was lost in the forest just a couple of years ago in terms of offense, hit one home run in
1: Savannah.
0: Uh, he's hitting 278, four home runs, 31 RBIs, uh, not walking a ton, uh, can certainly play the field. And the jump from double-A to yeah. the big leagues in today's game, is not all that great because that's where most of your prospects are going to spend time. They keep them out of AAA. AAA is where you put your, your stash, organizational depth, and guys that you hope you don't have to call up. The, uh, the Ty Kellys right. of the world, the T.J. Rivera, the Eric Campbells of the right. world. It's very unmet. Like I would have to see Dominic Smith develop. And really accelerate his development over the next eight weeks. And the earliest I can see it happen is similar to what happened with Conforto, which is late July. And yeah. and it probably would require some kind of cup of coffee uh, in Vegas. So that's the wild card. What's your thought? To me, that's that's probably not going to happen. But I'm keeping an eye on it because then you could platoon Flores with Smith. And if you're saying to yourself, Mike, well, Duda's going to go on the deal. That doesn't mean he's out for the rest of the year. Once I heard disc, I'm thinking I'm not putting Lucas Duda. In any conversation until I, and and, and twenty four hours from now you could be listening to this show, and dr Olchik says hey it's it's muscular and he just needs rest and but this has been a recurring thing since August. remember he had back issues late last year as well, and it didn't really hit well
2: well back stuff, issues so. are not something that go away easily, and be just because <laughs> i mean in the event that it is not a disc problem, that doesn't mean that it won't be a recurring problem. And it doesn't mean that it won't hamper his performance this year. So, I mean, we could be dealing with a subpar Lucas Duda playing first base, and that's not a that's not a great option either. In terms of Dominic Smith, uh, obviously they would be accelerating his development, but they did that with Conforto too, who was the, probably the best hitter available in the draft a couple of years ago. Uh, but they didn't much certainly more they didn't they,
1: offensive player. they did not polished. expect.
2: Oh yes, they didn't ex- but they didn't expect him to be up after several months uh, in the minors either. They- or they wouldn't have started him at-, at Binghamton. They would have started him at Vegas uh, to get him ready for the majors, but he exceeded their expectations in Binghamton and they felt that he was ready uh, to come up. Uh, and contribute, although they didn't know for sure. I mean, fortunately, they brought Conforto up. See, and I think this is important. You cannot bring a guy like a Conforto or, in this case, a Dominic Smith up and expect them to be anything more than a contributor and a role player. If you put excess expectations on them, I think that's when you get into trouble because you're asking them to be something that they're not, and that's why it worked with Conforto last year because he came up uh, in a well, it, when he came up, there was the thought that he would need to be a major contributor. But they soon added the depth of Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe, and then of course Cespedes, and that took all the pressure off of Conforto. Now he's ready to assume a lot more of the burden uh, for the offense this year. But for a guy like Dominic Smith, you'd have to bring him up, and and you'd have to just. You'd have to give him a week's worth of at-bats and see whether he was ready or not. But I I, I sense that the, the consensus within the organization is that he is not ready and that he may be two years away, maybe one year away. But I think the default position is that they let Duda play out this year, uh, arbitration next year, and then Dominic Smith takes over in 2018 as the first uh, as the first baseman, I think that's the plan. When Herrera will hopefully, in their minds, be the second baseman, and maybe uh, Rosario, who is now at Single A, would be the shortstop. Maybe in seven, maybe in eighteen, maybe in nineteen. I mean, that's obviously the organization's plan. But and they
0: had to be really. I mean, even with Conforto last year, it was like really a crisis point where they brought him up. They wanted nothing to do with bringing him up, and. Uh, He fit in well. They platooned him against lefties when they probably really didn't have to. You would put Dominic Smith in a situation where I think when Conforto got called up, they were looking to contend and probably hang around. I think Uh this year you're now expected to win, and it's such a different situation between the two. And I'm actually bringing up here uh, a list of first basemen on fan graphs to see is there anybody that as you get deeper into the year, could could potentially be a trade target. The only guy that looks obtainable where you where you're not using pie in the sky. I mean, I'm not trying to figure out ways to get Freddie Freeman here or uh, or Brandon Belt. You know, that's unrealistic. But Mike Napoli, the Indians, right handed batter, that might be a guy if the Indians fall out of it, maybe available. Somebody like that.
1: Um,
2: well, you could also go in the direction of trying to make a deal for a Jonathan Lucroy of the Brewers, who is a—I wouldn't say he's quite an impact bat, but he comes pretty close. And if you can put him 6th, 7th in the order, I think he could be a major contributor. Uh, because I am worried about the catcher position, because Plawecki has proven to be, at this point, nothing more than a 4A player, in, in my opinion. He's backup. never been— He's never been a you, great defender, Tim, and he you, has proven that he's Campbell, he's not a potent bat.
0: When you have Campbell Rivera in the pitcher, who the pitcher's probably yep. the most. When it's Syndergaard, the pitcher that might be the most threatening part of that line. That that that. Threat, well, in that, that in that in line that line batting
2: order, uh, Syndergaard ought to bat seventh. But you're talking about two black holes in the order. That's my concern. That's
0: three innings. The black That's hole behind the plate. Every game you're you're playing a six inning game now. Because for three innings, you're giving the opposition a pretty easy, quick inning because those guys can't hit,
2: far none. Well, that's right, and 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 the, the basis of this offense being effective this year was the depth, one through eight. As we looked at it before the season, we saw the likelihood that Estrubal Cabrera would bat eighth, and that very fact alone would make one optimistic, made me optimistic. But when you take a subpar David, you pull a Lucas Duda out of the lineup, which again is premature. We don't know. But if you pull him out, and then of course Travis Darno, look, let's be honest, uh, with a rotator cuff for a catcher, if he, if he comes back by July, we'll probably be lucky. And so there's too many, too many black holes in that order uh with a team that's so dependent on home runs too many uh too many of their position players can be pitched around uh with as you say a Rivera who's a great catch and throw guy but can't hit a lick uh and well let let's just assume that Eric Campbell is not going to continue to man first base because if if that's their plan then you might as well write off winning the division and hope you can get a a wild card because a playoff team is not going to have Eric Campbell playing first base most of the time. I do think one of the – we talked about this offline earlier, Mike, that maybe a plan could be to see what Travis Darnot could do at first base because the idea of putting him back behind the – he was already having terrible problems – throwing runners out. Throws are wild. Uh, release point is even slower than Puecki. Uh He's a guy that the, the league will run wild on. And with a compromised shoulder, it just doesn't seem to make sense that he'll be able to come back and throw effectively from behind the plate. I mean, they're going to test him from day one and average – uh average speed runners are going to be trying to steal off of him and i su- i suspect they will succeed and yet he can be an impact bat you could put you could attempt to see whether Travis Darno is a guy who could play first base again we're getting ahead of ourselves because we and, don't and know it's what not will happen training, with Duda, and but here's
0: the problem all this that's stuff, true. all this in season stuff is disastrous you never we we live this with the outfield and Todd Hundley and everybody says Oh, you know, it's first base. Look, first base is not—you're not playing beer league softball. It's not just standing there and hoping <laughs> that somebody just throws the ball at you. Now, the real well, we league saw
2: league we league saw league. we saw what happened when it make. I remember we all said, "Well, it would make sense." Piazza ought to be able to play first base. Because, yeah, might you know, never because, embraced geez, it, he and, never he, and he never embraced it, and it and it just nope. didn't work at all. So you just don't right. know. I mean, look, it works with Buster Posey. Would it work with Travis Darno? I have no idea, but thinking long-term, consider they they control him and his valuable bat for several more years, they've got yeah. to be looking at alternatives uh, in terms David of nutrition. David Wright. Yeah, well, and, that, and, and that, David, too, of, of course.
0: That would be the – you know, and I, I'm, I guess, look, I, this is where we talk about preparation. They have physicals in spring training. I don't know what Duda's back was like in spring training, and I know that ultimately, I guess, Wilmer Flores is the guy. That when he gets healthy and he's just got a little hamstring situation that'll probably man the position. But I gotta go back to spring training where they gave no reps to Wright at first. They gave no reps to Darno at first.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess
0: Plowicki, you mm-hmm. wouldn't hit enough anyway any to, to go to first base. That's not gonna gonna help you. That's where the prep would come in. Where if you're going to have Wright even man the position or Neil Walker man, man the position, get him over there. Yeah, I know they could practice and they have plenty of time. But the way the game is and the way the travel schedule is and, and the preparation is, you don't want someone going out at 4 o'clock playing first base and then starting at 7
2: o'clock at the
1: position. That's well, the I, I
2: agree. And, and I'm thinking with, with with Travis Darnot, I'm thinking more long-term. I'm thinking years rather than days or weeks or months, that they have to rethink whether this is a guy that can handle the physical wear and tear Uh, of being a catcher. He's a rather slight of build for a catcher to begin with. I mean, he does not have a classic catcher build, and he's not an asset uh, defensively. He obviously is a liability in terms of his arm. I think that the pitchers seem to prefer to throw to Ploiecki rather than him, although they won't say that. So I don't know what kind of a future he has Behind the plate. So, what I'm thinking is more in the long term, but of course, then you go back to Dominic Smith with the idea that within two years, he's supposed to be ticketed to be the starting first baseman at City Field starting in hey, probably and, and Luke 2018.
0: Croy, and Luke Croy can play first base. You know, if you talk about a player, yes, he you can. mentioned him before, to play first base, he's a righty batter. Um, he's a little bit older at 30 years old, but you know, That's a guy that – I don't know what it would cost. I mean it really depends on how bad is the relationship between the Mets and the Brewers after the Carlos Gomez fiasco, which it turns out the Mets were good on that. Joel Sherman of the New York Post actually wrote something about that uh, late this week where the Mets talked about, hey, it's not about the $9 million. It's not about the money. They didn't like – the doctors didn't like what they saw about his hip, and the guy hasn't right. hit since he got traded for Milwaukee. How good is that relationship? And what could the Mets give up? I mean, this is a situation where if you're the Brewers, yeah. I don't know if you could expect the same haul that the Tigers got in in the right. top, top of the rotation pitcher in Michael Fulmer, but they may ask for Ahmad Rosario. They may ask for Dominic Smith. They may ask for Dylan Herrera. And you have to be comfortable if you're the Mets that right now your window is now. That's why it's so important for this mechanics and these pitchers to really be on point and not to mess around. And that's why I'm so angry. If it is about the way that the team prepared them, and I, we'll see, it'll, it'll eventually come out through some reporting. Because you really, like a college team, have a four-year window, and you're in year two of this four-year well,
2: window.
0: Well, and, and well, and, and, you, gotta, and you know, this, it's not going to get any better than it is now. It's only going to get harder to keep that, all these players, and it's going to get more expensive. And we don't know if they're even going to invest in that. You may lose cespitus at the end of this year. You don't know. But the way no, he's it, playing, uh, he's well, not going to take the, a one-year chill. I'll tell you that. Well, you'd, you know, you'd have you to say
2: the likelihood—the likelihood is that they will lose Cespedes at the end of the year, especially if he keeps hitting like this. I mean, he's going to be overwhelmed with offers. Now, the Mets could, at some point, offer to extend the additional two years, where he's at—I uh, believe—24 million a year because they paid him 27 this year. You—you uh, you could, you could extend him at some point. And he does like, it's clear, he is a met at heart. He loves the organization. He loves being in New York. He loves being the man on that offense. Uh, that That is certainly possible. But you're right. I mean, it's usually a four- to five-year window, and we can see that uh, just in this division. Now, of course, the, the, the Braves had a run of 14 straight years. That was extraordinary. But you look at the and Phillies you know, had a run of run about four now. or five years. The Nationals, the by right,
1: very tough. Yeah, I mean the, pre-
2: the Nationals Well, yeah, I mean the, the Nationals really had a run of about 4 or 5 years now. They're back they're back in the saddle this year at least to this point. Uh however, you know, you you figure I mean Harvey leaves after 2018. Now whether that's a, as as huge an issue as it appeared to be. <laughs> Uh, in the past, I don't know, but you've got, what, five year, five more, four more years from DeGrom and five for Syndergaard and six for Mats. So, you know, they should be set with starting pitching going forward. The bullpen, I mean, you've got Familia under control for, I believe, another five years. So they can really focus on the offense and and I I will say this the one place in the organization where they have some depth to trade is at shortstop because they've got Gavin Caccini who supposedly or should be very close to being ready and then you've got Ahmed uh, Rosario still at single a Uh, you could (laughs) offer one of them with and throw someone else in to get someone like a a Luke Roy to a Milwaukee organization that obviously has to be looking to the future because they're not going to be winning now, especially in that division, the National League Central. So, you know, Luke Croy would be a would be a good acquisition going forward. It seems to me because he would lengthen the lineup, he would solidify the catcher spot. I don't know what you would do with Darno going forward, but you know, you could trade Darno, although he's damaged he's goods. You don't like to you don't like to trade a guy. Uh, when his value is bottomed out, but they do they, no, they don't have a Michael Fulmer to offer for a Yoenis Cespedes hey, like they did hey, last year. Hey everybody,
0: hey Tim, everybody calls it the Darno trade, the Dickey trade. I'm going to give you two things that Anthony Decomo of MLB.com threw out there. Uh, only pitcher since 1913 with consecutive games of 10 plus Ks, no walks, no unru- no earned runs because Syndergaard's one run today was unearned. Nolan Ryan in 1987. Jose Fernandez in 2014, Clayton Kershaw in 2015, Noah Syndergaard in 2016. Amazingly enough, Nolan Ryan in 1987, I think he lost 16 games. He was like 8-16 and 16 for, the, for the Astros. Um, the only two, here's the second thing. The only two pitchers in Mets history to have consecutive double-digit K games with no walks, uh, Dwight Gooden in 1984 and Noah Syndergaard in 2016. So that, the, the debate goes back to what we talked about earlier in the program. Oh, you know, it would always be about how the Mets going to sign the Matt Harvey. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt Harvey. The Mets might want to save that treasure chest for another yes. big right-hander. Uh,
2: well, look, let's let's uh, be uh, honest. Uh, as Mets home. fans, we as Mets fans, we've already written off uh, Harvey after 2018. We're we're pretty well convinced that he'd want to go to the Yankees or whoever will pay him the most money. Uh, it's stuck in micro. A lot of people were very upset about what happened uh, right before the National Series last se- September. The whole blow up with Scott Boris and all that. But it, for me, it went back to the, the ESPN documentary, The Dark Knight, where he said, and and this might have been overlooked by a lot of people, but you probably remember it where he said, well, this is where I'm pitching now. I, and it seemed like it was pitching. just a throwaway line, but he sure. basically, it, it, to me, it said, this is where I'm pitching now. Sure. And it said to me as a guy growing up in Connecticut, being a Yankees fan that, you know, this is how I establish my career. And then as soon as I get a chance, you know, I'm out of here. Uh, right now that may have changed because of how, how great this pitching staff has become and the incredible magical run that they had in 2015. But I'm focusing my attention on the other guys, uh, on DeGrom and Syndergaard and Matz, and they don't even have to worry about those guys for years to come, not to mention Familia. Uh, you know, so, so, I mean, the, the organizationally, uh, they still have to be, I mean, he, you, you take Harvey out of the mix. Let's just say he continues pitching like this. Well, you've got Zach Wheeler coming up. Now, this is a guy who, uh, was not able to really rein things in and develop any kind of consistency, but we all know what he can be, and it may, who knows, it may well be he comes back. He's more effective than Harvey, and then you've got four young studs up above Harvey uh, in right. the rotation, and Harvey becomes a very low priority, or even a guy that you know you could you could trade to get an offensive a big offensive piece uh, which, you know, would to some degree protect against the possible departure of Cespedes. Because right now the specter of UNS Cespedes leaving the team next year is not something that I or any Met fan really wants to consider.
0: Last uh, point as we wrap up here. This was, I said earlier, you have the, the improbable, which is using Dominic Smith at first base, but then there's the Lament, which is Daniel Murphy. And look, I liked Murphy, but Murphy was a bad second baseman and anybody who played with him would tell you he's a bad second baseman, and the nationals will find out that he's a bad second baseman. And unless he's gonna hit three seventy five like Tony Gwynn for his entire three year contract, which he won't, even if he went to batting title and hits three thirty He's a bad second baseman, and the Mets did not have a need for him at first, and even though they could have probably used him over David Wright at third, that was politically impossible and also financially impossible to, to choose Murphy over Wright. But
1: that's well, the example, guy that
0: you know everybody's going to say. You saw him this week. You'll see him another three days. You're going to see him 19 times. You're going to see him 60 times over the next three years, and yeah. every time you see him that the Mets are not playing well or they have a hole that he fits, you're going to hear about it. It was a it was a dilemma. And I didn't want to see Murph go, but I knew in my uh, heart that it was time for him to go. And he had as much of a play in the Mets not winning the World Series as he did in them getting to the World Series. And that's a fact because he made a big error and he didn't hit throughout the whole series against Kansas City.
2: Well, the best thing about Murph, of course, was that he bled Mets blue and Look, the the whole thing about Murphy was about whether to bring him back and they let's not forget they did offer him. Uh they 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 did they didn't make a qualifying offer for, and he could have made over 15 million to be with them for one more year and then saw what happened from there, but the whole question about Murph revolved around not whether he'd be a better second baseman or not cuz he wasn't going to be. Um But whether what we saw in the postseason last year was an aberration or indicative of a guy who somehow, at 30 years old, finally got it. Not that he was a bad hitter, of course not. He was an underrated hitter, solid in there every single day. But the question was... Is what we saw last October a complete aberration, or was it indicative of a guy who, perhaps with the help of Kevin Long, finally figured something out and turned from a good player to an impact player? We'll have to see. He's not going to hit 390 all year. He's not going to hit 400. He's going to make some stupid plays. He's not a good second baseman. They're not as athletic with him as they will be with a guy like Dilson Herrera going forward. Uh, who has the potential to be a dynamic player? But it's let's be so honest, so much better it's
1: up pain-
0: the middle. So much, it's I mean, it's Painful and though, day, it, 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 the two of them, the two, the guys well, right it, now, uh, Cabrera and Walker, and they're not even Gold Glovers. Not Ozzy Smith and Tommy Herr here, but they're no right I, year ahead
2: of what the Mets. Well, it, it's true, and and I I feel a bit bad for Neil Walker because he's. Look, he had a John Buck type of April. I mean, he hit nine home runs. You remember when John Buck did that in 2013? Sure. Then he wound up with about 12 or 13 for the whole year. They thought they, thought um, they had Mike Piazza, and that, that's just not. That yeah, no, no, I, I know, uh, but but, but you no, know, Buck didn't. Him. They got Dilson Herrera. I you know, I know.
0: With, that, with, I know. with, with John Buck, what was it Buck and uh, and and Marlon Byrd for Dilson Herrera and Vic Black and Vic Black, didn't work and out, Vic Black. that went and Vic Black. So he, he paid. He paid off. Those home runs came in handy in another way.
1: Let's put it that way.
2: Well, well, they did. I just what I'm what I'm saying is that I think Neil Walker is to some degree unfairly suffering by the comparison to Murphy because he's hitting about 140 points lower right now. But we're still in mid to late May. This is a long, long season, which is a hard thing for many of us to remember when we see the kind of games we saw against the Nationals. Uh, on uh, Wednesday and Thursday nights, which were utterly embarrassing. And it looked like they were not ready to play. Uh, but Neil Walker, you know, I think, look, I think we know what we're going to get from Neil Walker. You know, maybe he hits 20 homers, more likely 17 or so. He's going to drive in 65 to 75 runs. He's going to hit about 265, 270. I'm fairly confident of that, but he'll be gone uh after this year. And, uh, I do think the Assurable Cabrera signing was better than I had anticipated. He has solidified the shortstop position. The two-year deal was very smart, given that they've got two organizational shortstops, Caccini and Rosario, uh, coming up through the ranks, and he solidifies the position until they come through. But, you know, as we've said here today, first base, third base, catcher, we need to figure those things out.
0: Well, the good news is, is you have some time in the, in the modern day of baseball. With two wild cards, you can. I've said this a couple of times. You can mess around until about 80, 81 games in, until maybe August 1st, and and still be in it. Hey, Tim, um, where I know that everyone could find you on com, but are you on Twitter? Are you doing anything? I give. I guess those listening, if they wanna. You know, maybe I could spread the 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 hate around a little bit and give some of what because after we do this podcast, <laughs> I have to have, I have to refer them to you. I'm like, oh, it was Donner who told me to do it. I didn't. I didn't. All I re- the only reason I said Dan Warthen was going to be fired is because Donner put me up to it. So
2: no, I'm all seriousness, <laughs> is there
0: is there any is there anywhere they could, uh uh, well they can you.
2: they can go they can go on Facebook. Uh I am uh, I am shamefully behind the times, uh because I just well, get to you on Twitter. On, you
0: should see what the comments I get on Twitter. It's a it's it's like the um it's like going into a bar uh by yourself and anybody and anyone could come up and, and hit you in the face for what you say. That's pretty much like
2: Twitter <laughs> is, but
0: well, look, they're
2: they're welcome to flame me uh, all all they want on on Mets Mirage because I hope to be writing more and more there. Like you, uh, we have other gainful employment that that takes up uh, our time and 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 fills the coffers. But uh, you know, as this season uh, reaches closer to a critical mass, I'll be writing more and more, and I'm not worried at all about uh whether the 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 good commenters of of mesmerized uh will be willing to flame me when when necessary and hopefully the occasional nice article Tim or I agree with you uh, I don't mind that either.
0: silence silence tells you everything well Tim look it's gone by really quick I've had a lot of fun we got to do it again uh, perfect week to uh to get you on and, and go back and forth so Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I know you're down there uh, in Virginia, right in Nats country, so Mets are coming your way. 86 weekend next weekend, so a lot of fun stuff coming up this week for the Mets, and uh, let's do it again, my friend.
2: I have enjoyed this greatly, Mike. i got two words for you uh, in departing, anytime, place.
0: All right, that's Tim Donner. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we return, final thoughts. We'll be right back.
1: again that's fair off the glove of David Wright
2: Worth will score Harper heading to third Murphy will stop at first with
1: an RBI single that puts the Nats on top 24th batted in That that is a major league at bat that folks is how you win a batting title right there
0: Final segment, Mike Silva here of the Talking Mets podcast. Hey, next week uh, is a special edition of the podcast as we go back in time to 1986. Uh, it's 86 weekend at City Field as the Mets are going to take on the Dodgers. Now, next Sunday will be an 8 p.m. start for the game. So I'll be putting up the podcast earlier in the day. Uh, look for it some point Sunday afternoon. I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers to have a former member of that Mets team joining us. So stay tuned. It's It is a tired topic, I know that. It is the 30th anniversary. I think the Mets are trying one last time to remember that club. Uh, Let's make it fun. I'm going to try to do something a little bit different. I think everybody knows what happened in the stories. And I know they don't get old, but I think there's also a generation of Mets fans that just don't connect with that team. See, I started watching baseball in the 80s because of the 86 Mets, and uh, they still hold a very special place for me. But I know that a lot of you on this broadcast uh, listening – what 86 means to you is Keith Hernandez or Ron Darling. You probably identify more with 1999 Mets or the 2006 Mets than you do with the 1986 Mets, but so be it. We're going to have a good program. It's going to be more centered on the 86 uh, celebration. We'll we'll get into some current stuff, but I think next week we'll just stick to 86 and hopefully there won't be anything too dramatic going on. But look, you're all with the punches. You don't know what the news is going to bring and uh, we'll, we'll continue to, Try to give you the best about the present and the past about the New York Mets, but had a ton of fun today. Hope you enjoyed. That was the uh, that little clip coming into this was the Daniel Murphy uh, ovation and, and just a little clip from Murphy's visit to the City Field this past week. And Mets going to Washington and another big test. Like I said, they failed a couple of tests, some very big tests. A big test for Matt Harvey on Tuesday, a big test for the New York Mets going to Washington. And the Mets are going to have to figure out. They're going to get some news about Lucas Duda. It looks like tomorrow. And I don't think it's going to be good. So I think that now the Mets are going to have to figure out what are they going to do at first base. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting week uh, nonetheless. Hey, I want to thank Tim Donner, of course. Uh, you can check out Tim Donner on Mets Marized Online. Thanks for joining me. Of course, you can check out the show every week at TalkingMetsLink at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Get it on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Want to send me a tweet? Check me out at, at Mike Silver Media on Twitter MikeSilverMedia.com Hey everybody enjoyed a nice long show this week have a great rest of your Sunday night enjoy your week see you next week take care meet
1: the mess meet the mess head for the